Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Shock Therapy brought to you by Tyler Lawrence and Zach Alfers. Week threes of OTAs are in the books. Man, it's exciting. I'm getting more and more excited each and every day. We're getting so close to the start of football season, and I'm not going to be completely satisfied until we get into camp. We're getting closer, dude. I'm getting more and more excited because, I mean, July is just next month, and I just cannot wait for for some training camp i'm ready for the training camp battles i'm ready for some contact yes as long as we stay healthy yes healthy being being healthy is going to be key you remember being in a high school that first day in pads like that that energy that atmosphere oh yeah there's definitely an aura to it that you can't replicate and yeah i'm so excited to see what this team is like in camp it's going to be different i can't wait to see this staley led staff take charge of training camp it's going to be awesome i can't wait to get in that episode where we talk about camp battles man i'm ready for it i've been waiting for all summer and it it seems like we're so close i i can't wait i'm itching all right so today we're going to be going over some comments by otas frank smith Derek ansley mike williams uchenna unuosu and Shane Day all had brief, small, little tidbits that we're going to take away from. And then we'll get into our positional breakdown. Today we're doing tight ends and the offensive line. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the Shock Therapy magazine that is currently in production. All right. Nearing completion. I'm stoked about it. I can't wait to get more information out about it. It's going to be good. It's my second major project as a writer so i'm excited to get that out to you guys so going over otas we only had six players that did not participate uh, austin eckler who has been uh active uh, at least once i've seen him out uh in in his gear uh cory lindsley who's also been active at, at other otas uh odeo bushi jared cook joey bosom linval joseph were not shows uh not too concerned are you concerned at all no those are all guys that we know know what they're doing they kind of all at this point have their own kind of of 
off-season training regiment that they don't want to really get it break up too much so I, i'm not too worried about it they're all uh professionals and i i know that they're going to be in game shape when camp starts so i'm not worried at all and right now isn't about getting in game shape it's just it's just learning right that's all we're doing so learning and those guys don't need it and i guess my point is they'd rather take this time to continue to get into game shape than they're all the playbook right they don't need they're to relearn veterans. the playbook so the first interview we're going to talk about was Shane Day, who's the quarterback's coach. The main thing that I took away from his presser was that Chase Daniel is going to be playing an instrumental role in helping develop, having that veteran presence, having somebody that's familiar with what really should be a complicated play-calling system. So I'm excited to see how that parlays into Herbert's success in his sophomore season. I think it'll be a big deal. We talked about it on our quarterback episode, but that was a pretty under the radar signing. But I, I expect Chase Daniel to be a huge part of this offense, even though he's not going to take, hopefully take a single snap. For sure. Next was Frank Smith, who is our run game coordinator, and he's also coaching the offensive line. The main takeaway I got from his presser was that he got a PhD in football when he joined the Saints offense. Uh, He was under Sean Payton for five years. And, you know, something that I thought was interesting was that comment was the same exact thing Sean Payton, ourselves, uh, he he got a PhD in football. It really laid the bedrock for who he is and who he wants to be as a coach. The Saints organization has always had really good communicator. You had Pete Carmichael, obviously Joe Lombardi, that, that coaching staff that has been in New Orleans, has been literally the top of the line, best you can get. Yeah, and I mean, we talk about it a lot with Herbert and Keenan Allen. Obviously, the Chargers passing offense has been very exciting the last couple of years, but I really think this run game with this new fucking offensive line, sorry, I'm going to have to edit that one out. (laughs) No, we're leaving that one in, man. (laughs) We're leaving that in. Sorry, Grandma. Um, I told her I wouldn't cuss. Hey, bring out your Philip Rivers. (laughs) Anyway, we talk about a lot about the passing offense, but I really expect this this run game to be a big part of the Chargers offense moving forward. And it's going to help Herbert because that's what he's it's going to build. It's going to bring out what he does best, which is throwing behind the line of scrimmage, a lot of screens and getting the ball out fast. So I I love it. The other thing I like about Frank Smith is he is that Oakland offensive line for better or for worse, whether you like hearing it or not, they were (laughs) top of. They were, they were elite. They were big bodies. They moved people around. They really built their identity behind the run game. John Gruden's always been that type of coach. So having Frank Smith is it's going to be good for the Chargers offensive line. And there's a lot of veterans on this offensive line. We'll get more into the offensive line here in a little bit. But I think from an identity standpoint, Frank Smith's going to bring out the best. And some of our really younger players that we have on the offensive line. Our starters are mostly all veterans, but you look at Rayshon Slater, Scott Quisenberry, Braden Jaimez. We, we got some young guys there, Trey Pipkins, that that need to be developed. So I think Frank Smith's the right man for the job. I agree with you. I'm excited to see what he does. He has a lot of guys, like you said, who have a lot of potential that we're just waiting for to, them to put it all together. Next presser was Derek Ainsley, who is our defensive backs coach. The thing I took away from that is he's got such familiar familiarity 
with this roster, with this staff. He coached with Brandon Staley for a year in Tennessee. Uh, he also coached Josh Palmer, who was at Tennessee. Uh, he coached Nasir Adderley in the Senior Bowl. He worked with Frank Smith in Oakland, which translates to Jared Cook. He coached at Alabama from 2016 to 2017, helped Mika Fitzpatrick earn that Jim Thorpe Award. He helped recruit Brandon Faxon, Derwin James, Asante Samuel, while they didn't end up going to Tennessee. He's got a pedigree, and he's got familiarity with some really good players and coaches alike, and I'm really excited to see where that all kind of molds and and where it where it goes ultimately. Yeah, it should be exciting. All of those guys are expecting big things, especially Nasir Adderley. We really need him to take huge, huge strides this season, and I expect him to do so, especially with the coaching staff surrounding him. We'll get into the defensive backs here in, in two weeks, it seems like. Uh, next, we had two players in the presser. We had Uchenna Nwosu. Uchenna uh, Nwosu has been watching game film of Leonard Floyd, which, yes, you know, Leonard Floyd's a lot bigger body, but they're going to be playing the same position. I know that he's been losing some weight to kind of fit into the scheme a little bit better. He's no longer just going to be rushing the passer every single down. He's going to be dropping in coverage a little bit, probably a little bit more similar to how he's utilized in his first two seasons. And then, uh, you know, he's just going to have more versatility in this scheme, right? Uh, he's in a contract year, so he's got a lot to play for. I really like Uchino Nwosu. I like his production that he's had over the last couple of seasons. He hasn't been utilized as much. And now that uh, Melvin Ingram is gone, you would have expected him to receive a lot more playing time last season with, with how injured Ingram was the last season. Really, the last two seasons, he's had some injury issues. But for whatever reason, the coaching staff chose to play Jerry Tillery at defensive end, which made no sense at no all. No sense. Yeah, I, I can't wait for Nuosu put it all together because that guy is so athletically gifted. He's just he's a caged animal, and we've just kept him caged in for three, four seasons. I can't wait for him to be fully unleashed, and I think this is the year he puts it all together. You know, he's really a breakout player this season too. He's he's on the radar for a lot of different people to have a big well, year in twenty twenty one, and he should be because when he gets playing time, when he gets some consistent playing time, he's explosive. He he's wrecks productive. games. Yeah. I can't wait for a full season from Nwosu. He's going to be big for us. I agree. Next was Mike Williams. Some interesting comments that I took away from Mike Williams' presser was that he's going to let his agent work with, on negotiations for a new deal to keep him in Los Angeles. That's not saying that they're in negotiations, but it is interesting to to think about, is that conversation happening, do you think? And I'm not saying that, you know, they're going to extend him this year and he's going to start it this year. I'm saying, are they talking about an extension that would start in 2020, 2022? And I guess from a contractual standpoint, I think it makes sense to try to extend him this year when he's had a couple down seasons, lowers his price tag or would you rather just wait until the season plays out and then he have a breakout, you know, 11, 1200 yard season, eight touchdowns. Does it make sense to, I guess, have that conversation now, lock them up on a, you know, three, four year, you know, 10 to $12 million average deal or risk paying him 15 million plus next season. Yeah. I, I think 
it's worth having the conversation. But the first question needs to be, Mike, are you willing to take less money than you are making this year and are expecting to make in free agency? If the answer I mean, is yes, he's betting on himself, right? Right. So, so I'm if I'm the front office, I'm at least asking, Mike, are you willing to stay here for seven, eight million a year if we extend you this year? If the answer is yes, then I'm talking to him. If the answer is no, then that's too low, man. I think like 10 to 12 million is about his market, especially when you know that the salary cap's going to go back up. Well, that, and I'm with you. I think he's worth 10, 11 million. I don't think this team is willing to pay him 10, 11 million. You don't think that they value him that? I, I think they value him that plenty. I think with all the other contracts and all the other people that need to get paid, I don't think, I think he is deemed not necessary i don't think he's deemed as necessary as the other guys in the roster that are need to be we locked have up deep threats that's the thing about it right you have Jalen guyton you have tyrone smith you have josh palmer who's very identical maybe not quite as uh great of a deep ball go up and get it type of guy but you can replicate mike williams today on the roster you can't yeah. replicate you know it's it's just hard because he's he's gonna make fifteen million this year. You could extend him next season. It could be at fifteen million a year. It could be at twelve million a year. You could extend him now, possibly get ten million a year. It's it's interesting to understand where does the team value him? What is his value to this team moving forward? And do you need him? Yeah, I, I I don't know. I want to say yes because I really like the guy. I don't know that we're having that conversation with him for all the me- the reasons I mentioned and all of the potential free agents that are going to hit the market next season. Mainly, I'm looking at Devonte Adams. He's not coming. You're not going to no, pay two twenty million dollars a year. Type. But exactly, why are you going to take yourself out of the running altogether? When to to shore up a guy like Mike Williams for ten to twelve million, I don't I don't see. I really like the player. I don't see the team valuing him in the long term picture in Los Angeles. That's just my opinion right now. It'll be interesting to to watch and see how this plays out. For now, if if I'm in the if I put on my Tom Telesco hat, you know, I might you know, offer eight to 10 million right now and be like, we can either take this now, we can revisit this next season. Ultimately, if he, if he doesn't sign an extension this season, I would be a little surprised to see him back in, in powder blue next season. I'm going to be surprised either way. Yeah. Definitely keep an eye. I, I, me, I'm to me, I'm going to be surprised if he comes back no matter what the contract is. And then I guess the last part of all of the takeaways that I got from Frank Smith and from uh, Shane Day is that there's going to be an emphasis to get him the ball more. Uh, They were talking about it. They want to go to him a lot more often. So that's ultimately going to give him more opportunities. And, you know, maybe that price tag, it's it's going to get a little more expensive. Sure. I I would love for him to prove that he's a $15 million receiver. I would love for that to happen. Now, but to me, I don't, I don't really see it. I, to me, he's a very, very good wide receiver too, with not a whole lot of, with not, he doesn't do a lot of things very well for, for me to pay him more than $12 million a year. He needs to have more than 
be one more than a one trick pony. And for me, he's just very good at the deep balls, the contested balls. If he had any other routes on the route tree, if he had one, one route that I knew he can get open on, I may be considered giving him more than 50 million a year, but right now he's, is overpriced. Mike, if you're listening to this, prove us wrong. I want I, you. I want you to prove us wrong. Please, I want Mike. you to. Please, sir. To. Next up, we're going to start talking about tight ends. Number one on the depth chart is going to be Jared Cook. What are your thoughts on Jared Cook? I love the Jared Cook signing. Um, I, I mean, Hunter Henry leaving I thought was really big. But to go out and get an 11-year seasoned veteran like Jared Cook on what I thought was a pretty cheap team-friendly contract, um, is it seven million a year, eight million a year. I, yeah, and for what you're getting in Jared Cook, I love it. That guy just knows how to get in the end zone. Had seven touchdowns last season, a 22 over the last three seasons with back-to-back Pro Bowl bids from 2018 to 2019. The guy gets into the end zone, and Herbert loves his tight ends. He targeted the position 20 percent of his passes last year. It's a good place for him. It's a good safety blanket for developing quarterbacks in general. So I I love the Jared Cook signing and I expect if he could just get five touchdowns, I think it's a really valuable signing for the Chargers. So I'm really interested to see what his role is because I think he's going to play more of a rotational piece and he did kind of similar do that last season, right? Now the Saints offense was a little awkward at the tight end position because you've got uh, you've got multiple guys there that played multiple snaps, and he he wasn't a uh, Hunter Henry nine hundred snap type guy. He was more of no. a four to five hundred snap type guy. Well, so, and like I said, he's been in the league for a long he's time. Thirty four years old, and that drop off in production at that age at that position it is steep. Look at Greg Olson. Oh yeah, just for instance. Right? Well, and Jason Witten, I, I feel like we just logged him out there for five straight seasons in a row when he should have retired. The last five seasons of Witten was was tough to watch. Thirty-four not... year old tight ends, man. They're, you know, he's very athletic. Even he's Gates, do you remember guy. Gates at the end of his career? He gets he the had a resurgence there for a little he, bit. He did, but remember watching Gates. Sheath underwear makes the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn. If you're sick of boxers that are too loose or briefs that are too tight, Sheath is for you. The most comfortable boxer briefs you'll ever put on your body. You see, their stretchy fabric is made out of a moisture-wicking technology. They're super soft, keep everything cool and comfortable, and right in place. Sheath is particularly useful for staying cool while working out. Now, the most unique thing about sheath underwear is that they have these dual pouches that keep your man parts separated, which prevents things from sticking together, keeps them right where they need to be. They'll be the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs you've ever won in your life. Plus, they have brand new materials like bamboo and mesh for even more cooling comfort. Go to sheathunderwear.com and get the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. And if you use promo code IHEART, you'll also get 20% off your order. That's sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART for 20% off your order. Sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART. Sheath underwear makes the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn. If you're sick of boxers that are too loose or briefs that are too tight, Sheath is for you. The most comfortable boxer briefs you'll ever put on your body. You see, their stretchy fabric is made out of a moisture-wicking technology. They're super soft, keep everything cool and comfortable, and right in place. Sheath is particularly useful for staying cool while working out. 
Now, the most unique thing about sheath underwear is that they have these dual pouches that keep your man parts separated, which prevents things from sticking together, keeps them right where they need to be. They'll be the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs you've ever worn in your life. Plus, they have brand new materials like bamboo and mesh for even more cooling comfort. Go to sheathunderwear.com and get the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. And if you use promo code IHEART, you'll also get 20% off your order. That's sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART for 20% off your order. Sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART. And he'd be, there'd be nobody, no defenders around him for 20 yards, and he'd be like, touchdown. And then he'd just gas himself out on a five-yard sprint. And he, he, you just lose that level of athleticism, and it falls off a steep wall at that age. So like you're saying, it's coming close. But if you look at it, that lack of production hasn't happened for Jared Cook yet. Not yet. Now, he is a vertical-type receiver. Yeah. Right? And he's he's more of a receiver than he is a tight end. He's a receiver. He's a sure. slot, big-body guy. He didn't play on the, like, in-line position very often. Uh, you know, for his alignment, he had 530 total snaps last season, 360 of them. 68% of his snaps were either slot or split out wide. He only played 32% of the time in line. And at that, he was not used as a downhill blocking tight end. He just ran routes from that position. He doesn't provide any special teams value. He didn't play at all in special teams last year. Yes, he did have 500 yards receiving. And in nine of 12 seasons, he's never eclipsed over 1,000 yards. So he's he's been a productive tight end. But I just don't see him – I don't see the upside – in comparison when you have somebody that I look at as kind of identical in Donald Parham. I, so I like it because I like it because we have Parham and I think it, I think the biggest benefactor on that offense is Parham from the cook signing, because before that it was going to be all Parham as our tight end. Number one, he was going to be taking our tight end one and two. I feel like even three snaps, because of the lack of depth on that at that position. Now with with Cook, I think it's going to allow Parham to develop and we're not going to have to throw him into the fire as fast as we would have without him. I think Cook is going to be able to give I think Cook is going to be very big in developing Parham and making him take the next step because if you look just look at at what Parham has to develop, it's insane. 6'8" 237 pounds and runs a high four six those intangibles are insane so just if if he could develop and pick cook's brain for a season i i think he has all the potential in the world to develop into a tight end one i don't think he was ready this season but i think a year under cook helping him out taking some of those snaps i think he's very close to developing into that guy that we think he can be so I see Cook as a player coach to Donald Parham. Right. Like you said, he's very, very tall, 6'8", you know, 240 pounds-ish. Who knows if he's going to add on. But he's thick, dude. Like, he's he's got a thick frame. He is a – he is not a Jason Tatum 6'8". He's a Julius Randle 6'8". He he's is a big thick. guy. He is stocky. He's got amazing receiving ability. Mm-hmm. And when you compare Cook and Parham, they're, they're kind of the same player, Yeah. right? And I'm just looking to see that player coach type of role that D- Cook is going to play to Donald Parham is something that's really intriguing. I just need to see Donald Parham 
become a better run blocker, better. Mm -hmm. And and it's hard because when you're 6'8", you can't get down low. You can't get that leverage. You're going to let smaller defensive ends that are, you know, 6'3", 6'4", kind of get up underneath your your shoulder pads there. And it's it's hard to be effective in the run game when, you know, size isn't always great when when you're looking at blocking. It's, It's not. I mean, how many six, eight, you know, left tackles do you see? Well, and they're they're an anomaly. They are. You you lose, yeah, you lose a lot of power once you get that tall. It'll be interesting to see just how he develops in the run game because that's what he needs to develop that part of his game to really become a complete player. So he only played 259 steps last season. I'm expecting something closer to that four five hundred range. I'm expecting him and Donald Parham to really cook and Donald Parham to really play similar snaps next season. I think so. And I might take some slack for this, but I actually see him winning the starting job overall. I think he's your go-to first type player because I, I look at his skill set. I look at the age that, that Cook is. I look at the age Parham is. And I could really seriously see him being the day one starter in terms of, you know, overall playing time. He might not, you know, start, start first, but I, I think he's going to even possibly see more snaps overall because he's more dynamic. Now, do you think he'll see more now? Just do you think he'll see more snaps number wise or do you, will he be in that first week? Will he be on the, the on the field in the two minute drill to win the game? Who's, He's definitely going to be the guy in the two-minute drill. I see. So? Honestly, I see Cook probably taking those snaps early part of the season, but by the middle of the year, I think Parham's going to be the go-to guy. And you know, even last season, Parham was was that go-to guy. He was in there in the two-minute drill. They were throwing up those goal line fades to him, and I just, I just, it doesn't make sense to have that guy who's that athletic, that big that good of a receiver, that just everything, and not play him more to develop those skills. I like it. I, I hope I hope we do force feed him because, like you said, he has all the potential in the world. Why not feed a monster like that? Why not give him the ball as much as we can? Because he is hard to bring to the bring down to the turf. And he's fun to watch when he gets the football in his hands. Even in the XFL, his XFL highlight tape was is really fun to watch and he was the go-to guy there they threw to him often they only played like five or six games but they went to him early and often and you could tell that that was their start and we're talking about xfl so level of talent's a little bit lower but i mean imagine if he would have gone to a big school like alabama or georgia or you know he he went to this division three school that nobody's ever heard of and matter of fact I did in my magazine last year, I, I did a lot of research on him. They were in like their third season. He went to some small school in Florida and they were only in their third season, like as a program. Ever. Oh, really? Yeah, it was insane. And, you know, he's actually got, if I remember correctly, he's got athletes that are in his family that have gone out and played uh, professionally. I, I want to say that he is cousins with somebody who was in the NFL so he's got some sort of a pedigree there. I, I just want to see him develop, and I just want him to be that undrafted Antonio Gates, come yeah. out of nowhere and just be a monster. He has all the tools. 
I I really like the Cook signing because I think it's going to really, really have Parham take the next steps. And then next season, when you let go of Jared Cook, you've got Trey McKitty. Mm-hmm. We've talked a little bit about Trey McKitty. What do you think his role is going to be next year? I think it's very – I think if Anthony Lynn was still here, I think McKitty would probably lead all of our tight ends in snaps because – McKitty is going to be our number one run blocking tight end. And I think he will even push neighbors for that H back role. I know you really, really like neighbors, but McKitty is such a talented blocker, not like any H back or tight end we have. I think that's his role predominantly. Also, I can't wait for him to be on special teams, paving the way for whoever our kick and punt returner is. I think that is really going to be his fit because he's athletic He's big and strong, and he likes to block. He likes to get out and get nasty and put DBs or whoever it is on their backs. You know, I'm really interested to see Trey McKitty and how much he plays this season because I look at our tight end room. I could see all three of them playing significant snaps. I think but, all three of the guys we mentioned are going to be But they can't. They all can't. <laughs> how often are we going to come in like this is an Anthony Lynn running you know three tight end sets which he didn't get to do because he would have got like embarrassed but I mean you got three guys there that can all play significant snaps yeah and and six seven receivers vying to roster too so exactly. that's a lot of pass catchers that's a lot yeah, you're right. There's not a whole lot. Of, there's not many formations where you have three tight ends. No, there's there's one. <laughs> there's one. Hopefully, hopefully it's just the victory formation. That's it. <laughs> well, I was going to say, hopefully we're running it all the time. And it's one of those things also where you can't just bring him in and like it has to be obvious run situations, right? You know, four minutes left on the clock. You got to run out the clock type of situations. But well, yeah, that too. You can't you can't show your hand. You can't just be like, okay, when we're gonna run, we're gonna bring in Trey McKitty. When we're gonna pass, we're gonna, you know, go two tight end sets with Cook and Parham on either side. You you can't just show your hand like that. So I, I just don't know where Trey McKitty, you know, where he fits this season. Next season, for sure, I see a lot more snaps. This season, I just I don't see where he gets on the field outside of special teams. Yeah, I think. Now that you're think, now that you're saying it, and we're spe- talking out loud, he probably is not going to take very many offensive snaps. Probably like twenty, thirty all, all year. Outside of injury, that's right. the only way he makes it on the field. Well, insignificant. I, I see him a lot in special teams. He's going to be on punt. He's going to mm-hmm. be on kick off, kick return. Maybe not kick off. No, he's athletic. He might make it onto kickoff. He's. I want to see him play. Um, I want to see him play because he is very, very athletic. I could see him pushing Gabe Neighbors off the roster, though, and that's playing what, a true fullback role. That's what I think if he does get any more offensive snaps, that's what it's going to be as that H-back. Because I really think he has some – I really think he could be developed more as a as a pass catcher. I don't think we saw enough of it during his college years he didn't really get a chance to but when they did throw the ball his way he made some crazy insane catches i think he has all and gabe neighbors is a great pass catcher but i don't think he's a very good run blocker 
No, and you know, I think he's the player that pushes Gabe Neighbors. If Gabe Neighbors is getting pushed off the roster, it's going to be for this guy. I agree. I agree, and I think that will be... I hope that's a position battle, because I feel like Neighbors at this point in time is is kind of a waste of roster space, especially with all of the past, the talented pass catchers we have in that backfield. Even even with with all three of those guys, all four of those guys are a lot better pass catchers, in my opinion, than Neighbors is. And that's really the only thing that Neighbors is bringing to this, to the roster. Give you guys a little background on Trey McKitty. So he was actually one of the top recruits coming out of high school. He was a four-star recruit. He was the fifth overall tight end in his class, ESPN Top 300. He started his career at Florida State, which he was recruited by Jimbo Fisher, who left for Texas A&M and just kind of left that program in just a terrible state after the, the James's Winston era. Uh, Willie Taggart took over. He only stayed for a few seasons. And with Trey McKitty, you know, looking at his draft profile, it wasn't very high. He ended up transferring to Georgia, where he received a lot more playing time. Honestly, I didn't th- see him as the best tight end at Georgia. They had another pass-catching tight end there that I liked a little bit better. Uh, but he was very effective as a downhill blocker. He only played, I want to say, in four games last season because of injury. He did have a knee scope. Uh, we already talked about it. He He's one of the best run blocking tight ends in the class from last season. And he's very athletic. Uh, he's got some tools there to develop. He just didn't have much of an opportunity. You know, he, he never got the mesh well in that Georgia um, offense. I think they had a, an injury issue at the quarterback position, so they became a very run-heavy team. But ultimately, there's a lot of tools there to develop. He's just got so much raw, undeveloped talent that needs to just let its way out. So I'm excited yeah. to see what he's able to do. The last tight end on the roster, Steven Anderson. I really didn't write much about Steven Anderson. He's a veteran. He's only, he's like 28 years old. Uh, he, he played for the Texans for a little bit there. Uh, but ultimately, you know, if there's a, a tight end, who's not going to make this roster, it's going to be Steven Anderson. Yeah. I don't have much on him either. He he's emergency depth piece. If Steven Anderson is playing any meaningful snaps this season, uh, that is a very, very bad scenario for the chargers. He, he played a lot more last season, uh, toward the end of the year, but ultimately the only way he makes his roster is through injury and training camp, which is, yeah, he's nothing special catching, catching the ball. He's a pretty decent run blocker. So he's a pretty decent run blocker. I, I don't see him playing very much this year. That's all I got on Steven Anderson. So good luck, Steven Anderson. If you end up, man, you got to have a big season to or a big tr- training camp to make this roster because there's so much underneath you that is more to develop. Ultimately, yeah. is what it comes down to. I talked about a little bit earlier, the Shock Therapy Magazine is something that I've been working on. This is my second major project as a writer. I am selling these copies currently right now for $10 to $15 a copy. Uh, not selling them now, but that's that's my my plan. Um, this is ultimately, this is going to become beer money and stadium parking for the games, right? I'm extremely excited to announce that this is currently in development. Uh, last year, I wrote the Master Bolt Magazine which, by the way, I'm giving away free of charge. DM me on Twitter. Get in my messenger. I'll give it to you guys free of charge. Basically, I wrote a scouting report on the top 53 players. Uh, I have information about SoFi Stadium. I give a 
farewell to Philip Rivers. Talk about the uniform changes. This is all 2020 content. Uh, it was 80 pages of work that I did in the span of like three or four months. Ton of work, ton of film that I, I got to watch. And, you know, I, I had a lot of fun building it. This year, it's going to be more article driven, more story driven things that are going on uh, in 2020 during the 2020 season and the 2021 off season. Uh, I recapped every single game last season. Uh, I talk about, you know, what hurt their season and, and brought them from seven to nine from what really could have been a 12 and four season. If you look at just the close games that they lost, I'm going to be talking about Brandon Staley, the 2021 free agency and NFL draft. Um, I might even do some scouting reports on our, our draft picks, uh, but a ton of content. It's going to be about 50 pages or so. And I am working extremely hard to get Justin Herbert to sign these. I know that's kind of a pipe dream. <laughs> I actually wrote him a letter, sent him a copy of my magazine from last season, asked him to, you know, maybe meet me at a coffee shop or something. I- I'm going to try really hard for you guys. If I get Justin Herbert to sign these, you can book this now. Uh, I'm going to be selling for $25 a piece. That's the cheapest piece of signed memorabilia you'll ever get from Justin Herbert because just his signature alone is going for $100 an item. If I'm able to get this done, I promise to everyone out there that I guarantee you I will not sell it for more than $25 a piece. And again, my, my goal is 100 copies, sell 100 copies. This is going to my season tickets. This is going to beer money and and maybe even some victory brisket. Who knows? Ooh. My finish date is still yet to be determined. I'm hoping by mid to late July, somewhere around there is when I'll have the actual physical copies available, whether signed or not signed. Like I said, I'm going to do everything in my power to get them signed. Uh, I'm going to just do whatever I can. So we'll see what happens. Um, my hopes are high. Uh, my feelings are probably going to get hurt. So we'll, we'll find out here soon enough. Come on, Justin, don't let us down. We're huge fans. Hook us up. Uh, also sandbox simulations. I'm not sure if I have talked about this enough because I am stoked Mm -hmm. about this whole system, this whole program. So we're currently waiting for 10 more teams to start the next league of the sandbox simulation season. This is kind of like Madden franchise. You're both the general manager and the head coach of your very own team made of a full 53-man roster of real NFL players. You start with a fantasy draft of real NFL players. You draft your rookie class. You use your annual salary to sign players to contracts. The longer the contract, the higher the cost. You bid against other live users in free agency to round out your roster. Then the season starts. The season is a simulation based off of players' real-world stats from previous season. For instance, Justin Herbert just enjoyed the best rookie season of any quarterback ever, and he did it with a terrible offensive line in front of him. Now imagine if Justin Herbert would have an offensive line of guys like Trent Williams at left tackle, Quentin Nelson at guard, Corey Lindsley at center, Zach Martin, Tristan Wirfs on the right side. Imagine the amount of time that he would have had to throw the ball. And imagine how his stats would have just been astronomical. Everyone plays the role of couch GM. Now's your chance to build a roster the way that you want, the way that you envision. You pick your game plan each week. Choose your formations. Decide on 
how often you run or pass on different downs and distances. Set your depth chart. Uh, manage your own injuries. You, you've got full control. Do you have the roster knowledge? Go to sandboxsimulations.com. Use code SHOCK20 at checkout to save 20% off your first season, and let's just have some fun. Again, I'm getting a bunch of people in on this from the Say It Again Network who we podcast with. They're, they're our partners. I'm trying to get as many people into this because I think this is the next big thing. Typically, the season runs during the offseason of the NFL season. So while you're playing fantasy football during the season, you can transition over to the sandbox season. It's a ton of fun. I'm trying to get this out because just it's cheap. It's only like $20 a year. You're saving 20% off of that. It's it's a lot of fun. I, I really want to get people into this, those diehard stat heads, all those guys who, you know, they if you're sitting in free agency and you're like, why didn't we draft this player? Or why didn't we try for this player? Are you kind of pissed off that we didn't, you know, sign for Julio Jones? You could have made that transaction. You build your team, you build your roster, and you go out and have fun. Again, anywhere your mouth is. Yeah, I think if anybody's on the fence, go out and, and sign up. It, that league that you're we're waiting for, 10 people, I think, until that league starts, I'm in that league. So if you think you're a better GM than me, come on in there. I, I guarantee you probably I'm are. I'm definitely a better GM than you. <laughs> I guarantee we'll most of you probably are. Enough. <laughs> I, One I'm last time. Ex- I'm not expecting much from me, but it, it's really cool, and I'm really excited to – to try my hand at it's it. It's so in-depth and there's so much to learn on it. It is the most intense simulation out there. Go to sandboxsimulations.com. Use code SHOCK20 at checkout. Save 20% off your season. And let me just talk some mad trash to you all season long about <laughs> how you built a terrible roster. It'll be fun. Get out there. Let's sign up. Let's play some games. And it's all in the offseason. What do you have to do in the offseason anyway? Absolutely nothing. Moving to the offensive line. My first question to you is, are we going to carry nine or ten players on the offensive line? I want to say nine, but I don't know. There's, I want to say nine, but with our injury concern, I feel like let's just go ahead and, and rock with ten. There's a lot of there's a lot of offensive line. There's I think we need to roll with ten. So starting at left tackle, we got Rayshon Slater. What are your thoughts? I know you've already gotten into it. How is Rayshon Slater going to fit on this offensive line? I'm still speechless that we even have him. He He's everything that we wanted in a left tackle. He's 6'4", 300 pounds, athletic, moves like moves like a a a running back tight end from the left tackle position he's insane as far as fit goes it doesn't get any better we needed left tackle we got one of the best left tackles the game has seen in a long time he's one of the most insane prospects that come out of college there's not many athletes like him and he plays left tackle so he's the future star of this group he was our first round draft pick He's strong. He's technically sound. He's super athletic. I already said it. He runs like a tight end from the left tackle position. He's not overly long. And it comes from a family of basketball players. The dude knows how to take care of his body and perform at crazy levels. It's insane. I had him ranked as my 1B offensive tackle prospect from Penny Sewell. Uh, 
I honestly didn't see a huge gap between them. The reason why I like Penny Sewell better is because he was already there with Justin Herbert in Oregon. I thought that made a lot of sense, but ultimately, you know, he's a plug and play starter and he's got all pro potential. He's proven it against, you know, players in the big 10 conference, which houses pass rushers from Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio state. We're talking about like AJ Espinoza, Zach Bond, Chase Young. He also played against Notre Dame, Michigan. I mean, that, whole conference just breathes past rushers and but, he was one of the best and dominated those met guys you mentioned Dominated. Didn't just play well against them dominated those guys five total sacks in his entire career he had zero in 2019 he gave up just Same. five pressures as a junior and 355 pass rush snaps unbelievable He's an aggressive so, run blocker. I'm just excited to, to see him in pads week he, one against – it doesn't matter who it's against. I, I'm just stoked. The pick alone almost, almost makes up for the team's lack of con- concentration at the position for the last 10 years, completely neglecting the offensive line during Phillip Rivers' tenure with the Chargers, completely disregarding it. The Rayshon Slater pick almost makes up for all of that. With just one guy. He's just a likable guy, too. You've yeah. seen him in a couple interviews. He's he's really likable. I'm really excited about him. Yeah. Uh, he wants to be... He wants to interact with fans. He wants to get better. He he does all the things you want from a, a generational left tackle. I can't wait to see him put strap up the helmet and go out there and let it, let it all out. At left guard, we got Matt Feeler. Uh, he's from Pittsburgh. He played with the Texans from 2014 to 2016. He's a 28-year-old vet, uh, but he's big, man. He's 6'6", 330 pounds. You know, one of the things Brandon Staley talked about, they, they wanted to get bigger on the offensive line, and they accomplished it, yeah. signing a guy like Matt Feeler. He signed a three-year, $21 million contract in free agency. And the other thing I really like about him, he's a very versatile player. Yep. So he played guard, he played tackle. I think he's a better fit as a guard because he's a little bit limited in athleticism. But when you look, when I'm watching film, I, I got to remember that he's 330 pounds and he's moving at that size. I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy that's identical looking somewhat to Linval Joseph. Yeah, and he plays, I think one of my favorite things about Filer is he's mean. He's he nasty. He's not making any friends out there in the trenches. He's out there, wants to punch you in the mouth, and I love it. I, and I think that versatility at right tackle, I agree with you. He's going to be our left guard. I think he's better at guard. But that versatility is super valuable for this Charger offensive line that is just loves to get hurt. I, I love the Filer pick. It adds another gritty, big offensive lineman to a unit that desperately needed it. I, I love the Filer signing. He was the lone bright spot to an aging Pittsburgh offensive line that ranked 31st in run blocking in 2020, but they ranked fourth in pass protection. Now, that being said, right, I, I don't want people to think that, you know, oh, he played on a bad offensive line. He he was the bright spot there, and he was the youngest player on that line. You're looking at guys that, you know, Alejandro Villanueva, um, the Pouncy, the other Pouncy brother, right? That's right. Mike. You know, they they have they have you know Pittsburgh has been one of the best offensive lines over the last decade. 
And really, he just found himself as the youngest player and really an aging group of guys, you know, over 32, over 33 years old. And that's possibly why that run game kind of suffered also because James Conner was terrible at finding the hole and just getting upfield. But then you look at, you know, there was there was nothing there. And he just they they played badly, but he was the lone bright spot. He's a big player, and I think that he's a massive upgrade over what's been on uh, at you know offensive guard for the Chargers for what really and, ever. And with those those aging that aging offensive line, were you surprised that for what the Chargers signed him that the Steelers let him go for a contract like that? Three years, seven uh, seven million a year. Three year, twenty one million is what he signed. You know, ultimately, he's bounced around a little bit, right? This is the highest contract he's ever, you know, signed. Last year, he signed like a $3 million contract. He's relatively an unknown. Uh, My expectations for him are, you know, above average, right? I I think he's going to be a very good, productive player, but he's not going to be a pro bowler type of guy. He's just going to be a really... You know, you're not going to notice him, which is good because you don't want to notice him, right? You just want him to do his job, but he's not going to, he's, he's not Quentin Nelson. He's not just, you know, plowing through guys. I don't know. I don't, I don't, if I had to say there was going to be a weak spot on this offensive line, it's going to be at either the guard spots for sure. Sure. And, you know, because of that, it, it could be feeler because I actually direct, and we'll talk about him in a minute, Odeo Bushi as well. So we'll see where he ends up in the rankings at, you know, offensive guard. Uh, Ultimately, I kind of think of him as like an average player, and we're just super excited about him because we've had such terrible guard play. Yeah, I I think you're right. I I don't expect a Pro Bowl season from him, but he's such a massive upgrade over the guys we've rolled out there the last three, four, five seasons. That's why I'm very, very excited. Next up, we have Corey Lindsley at center. He is was the best center in all of football last season. Uh, been one of the best centers over the last few seasons. He's 30 years old. He was an all-pro, like I just said. And, you know, PFF gave him a lot of love. He, he was the highest-graded PFF center with a grade of uh, 89.9. Next closest guy was 80.3. Now, PFF is not the end-all, be-all right? But it does give you a good indication when they really believe that he was that much better than the next center. I, yeah, that is, we needed a center bad and we got what a lot of people considered the best in the game. And he's bringing consistency and experience. Seven year career, 99 career games. The guy knows how to keep his body healthy and be out there. The best thing about him is he's a, a great communicator, and we need that at the center position. It's the most make, important place to be a communicator at. Absolutely. making And it's going to make life so much easier for Justin Herbert in the second season, adjusting to the more complicated offense, going through all the pre-snap reads. Lindsley, with being the, the savvy veteran he is, is going to make things so much easier dissecting the defenses and making and helping Herbert go through his pre-snap reads. It's going to be so important. I don't think a lot of people know or understand that. You know, he gave up four pressures in 734 snaps. Four pressures. That's crazy. I don't think people understand, like fully understand, like four pressures, not 
four sacks, no, not yeah. four hits, like four total pressures. Right. And partially, or- partially is because he's got Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks that the NFL's ever seen, who's able to get the ball out of his hands quickly. But who's not going to play next season? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> You know, the other thing I really like about the Corey Lindsley signing, right? So he signed a five-year, $62.5 million contract. But when you look at the contract details, this is insane. He's only got $17 million in guaranteed money. Next season, he's got a $6.6 million cap hit. And year two, he's got an $11.6 million cap hit. Remember, he's only averaging $12.5 million a year. His first out is in year three. He's got a 7.8 dead cap, which is, you know, it's manageable, right? So, like, if he really, like, gets injured and just can't come back and you can make that cut. But then you have a second out in year four with a 5.2 million dead cap. And his his cap hit in year four is 14.1 million. That's totally manageable if you don't want to pay 14.1. I highly doubt that he he plays on his fifth year contract because it's 17.1 million, but you've only got 2.6 in dead cap. Remember he's only got 17 million in guaranteed money. His first two years, super manageable. His third year, you have that out 7.8 million, which it's not a whole lot of money, but ultimately we didn't usually when you see these, you know, 50, $60 million uh, contracts, like almost half of it is guaranteed front loaded. Well, it's a very selfless, contract and what it allows us the team to do is build the most competitive roster around him in those first couple of years of the deal which is awesome he wants to win and by signing that contract i think that's what that tells me because he's saying hey front office go ahead and bring some dogs in these next couple of years because i want he wants to compete for a super bowl that's what that that's what signing that's the highest paid center contract in the nfl and it's it's backloaded like that to maximize the the how competitive the roster can be. I love it. So I'm really, really excited about, about the signing also because it makes the players on either side of him so much better. Matt Feeler and Odeo Bushi, it just takes so much off of them. And then you said it just a few minutes ago, that communication, like he's going to be the one calling out the blitz. He's going to take so much pressure off of Justin Herbert to be able to go and call those protections, slide left, slide right. You know, you're on an island, you know, we're, while I'm sliding left, like he's able to give those calls, which is super important when you look at offensive charges going to be running because Herbert's whole brain is going to be, you know, the calls at in the huddle and being able to make those adjustments, whereas he doesn't have to worry because Corey Lindsley likely will be calling the pass protections for him. And he can just focus on his his reads and focus on things. You know, he doesn't have as much to do pre-snap. Well, yeah, and that's just going to bring out confidence in everybody else that they know that they have a guy like Lindsay in the lineup every day. It just brings out everyone else's confidence. It's great, great signing for the Chargers. At right guard, Odeo Bushi signed a one-year, $1.6 million contract. Ultimately, I look at this as a steal because he was he played really well last season, and I'm he surprised did. he signed so low. But he's also he's a low risk, he's a high reward player. And he's an under-the-radar type of signing that could pay huge dividends. Definitely. It's ultimately a tryout for season for him, though. At worst, he's an upgrade over a revolving door of guards last season. 
Uh, at best, he's an average starter with upside as an aggressive blocker. He's likely going to help play his contract because it's so low and so minimal. And, you know, he brings a veteran presence. He brings competition to a group of guards uh, that, that are going to be behind him. If you look at, you know, that competition, you've got Braden Jaimez, who was the Chargers' fifth-round draft pick. You've got Scott Quisenberry. Mm-hmm. So you've got some flexibility there. So even depth, because if you look at Scott Quisenberry, he he actually played pretty well two years ago as the Chargers' center. Uh, and he was drafted originally to play guard. And he's he's just a veteran presence and somebody that you know is super cheap on the on the books, but likely gonna outplay that contract. I don't see how he doesn't. I mean, that is is basically paying for pennies. And the guy's been in the league for a while. I get it, he's bounced around, he's been mostly a backup, but he played in all 16 games last year, started in eight, and was very, very good. Just allowed one sack, eleven total pressures. Really good, very, very good productions. And I think he brings stability and, like you said, veteran presence to a, a young group that's just getting better. I, I think he takes the right guard spot right from day one, but there's a lot of young guys that I think are pushing for him. And I think that is the, to me, it's going to be the right guard where one of the young guys could sneak into the starting lineup. I think Filer kind of has the left guard kind of locked down. I think for me, it's Abushi at right guard that is kind of the weak link of this offensive line, in my opinion. So he's a bit of a journeyman. Uh, he's on his like seventh or eighth team in in eight years, which is yeah. Again, that's crazy. So seventh team since 2013. He's bounced around, but he's managed to stay on. He's a veteran presence, uh, and he he's got nothing to lose, which is dangerous. <laughs> good from both st- yeah from both standpoints he has nothing to lose he's going to bring it all this year and if it doesn't work out well it's 1.6 million in the books exactly uh at right tackle the chargers have Brian Bulaga who they signed last year to a 3 year 30 million dollar contract he's an above average to borderline elite pass protector uh, he's got a pretty significant injury history which is a big negative Mm-hmm. Uh, he could play 16 games next season to have a Pro Bowl caliber season. Then again, he could end up playing something similar to last season where, you know, it was half the games, half the snaps. Um, it, it, boomer bust is is who Brian Belaga is. Yeah, I, I really hope he puts it all together. It's a second season here. But since he since he's been in L.A., it's it's been on and off the injured reserve list. But you he is a proven commodity in this league. 121 career starts to his name. You you know what you're getting when he's healthy, which like you said, above average to elite pass blocker. I hope we get that this year. Is he going to stay healthy? I don't know. And you know, something else to think about is he's, if the chargers are winning, he's got more to play for. He'll play through more of those injuries. Whereas sure. last season, you know, you're down, you know, <laughs> What, what were the Chargers at 1.2 and 7? Yeah. When you're looking at that and you go, uh, you know, maybe I don't need to play through this. Maybe yeah. I just need to get healthy. Right. So it's, you know, that does play something in it. I'm not saying that he's, you know, given up on the team or anything. But when you're no. looking at it, like you, when you have something to play for, you have more reason to play. It, it, winning definitely makes things hurt less. So I'm with you. You're definitely more incentivized to rush out to it to winning again than you are to go back out and getting your ass kicked. So I think so it makes your, sense. 
So your starting five more than likely is going to be Rayshon Slater at left tackle, Matt Feeler at left guard, Corey Lindsley at center, Odea Bushi at right guard, Brian Blaga at right tackle. Now I'm banking on the fact that they're probably only going to carry nine on the roster, which really is interesting when you look at the guys behind him. And I'm just going to name them all. You got Scott Quisenberry, who has flexibility to play center or guard. You have Trey Pipkins, who play primarily offensive tackle. You have Braden Hymas, who has flexibility to play tackle or guard. You have Storm Norton, and you have Tyree St. Louis, who has flexibility to play guard or tackle. If you notice, most of those guys have flexibility, which gives me the idea that those three guys, Quisenberry, Jaimez, and uh, St. Louis, St. Louis, are more than likely going to be three players that make the roster, which makes the camp battle between Trey Pipkins and Storm Norton. The last part I want to talk about this is that Pipkins was a Chargers third round draft pick just two seasons ago. Mm -hmm. If you put all of that in perspective, there's a one week link. Storm Norton. You like Pipkins over Norton? I like Pipkins over Norton because you don't spend a third round draft pick on a player and just let him go like that. You know, you get draft capital in him. They, they have something there to develop because he is athletic at his size. He's a true offensive tackle. I look at those five as the the main backups there, and I see Trey Pick. I just don't know how you you he's played so many games already throughout his young career. Yeah, there's something there to develop. I think Storm Norton's kind of that weak link and that guy that doesn't make it because those other players provide flexibility, especially yeah. Scott Quisenberry because he's the only one there who's actually done snaps like you know he's the only guy there that can back up uh Corey Lindsley you look at yeah. Braden Jaimes they just spent a fifth round draft pick on him I don't know how you part ways with him no. Tyree St. Louis I actually really really liked his tape in in game one when he filled in I think he had some injury issues which kind of forced him out of the lineup there he stayed on the roster but he didn't play Storm Norton is the guy that I just see that just doesn't make the roster. Yeah. Well, and coming from the XFL, I think it's very, very possible that he can make it through the waiver wires. And if you don't sign him to the 53 to re-sign him to the practice squad, because he doesn't have a whole lot of tape in the NFL. He was okay in the XFL, but there's a, yeah, there's a reason that that was his career path. He's not very coveted after it. People I think he's really in his like fifth like year too, because I know he spent some time with the Vikings before. He might not even be eligible to to be on practice squad anymore, and Does the that, rules oh. might be a little different next season. I just, I you know, he's one of those players who might have just worn his welcome at, in the NFL, and they might be, you know, NFL teams might be just wanting to to roll with you know rookies that can be moldable and and be developed into something more. You know, I, I don't see any way that Trey Pipkins goes to the practice squad. No way Jaimez goes to the practice squad. No. St. Louis, maybe. I just I just see Storm Norton as that weak link. Yeah, I, I honestly just put him on. 
I just threw on the list because he was our top ranked tackle or top ranked offensive lineman from last season. So just looking at that, I was like, well, he has to make the team. <laughs> looking at the numbers, yeah, it makes a better. But it was a terrible, terrible offensive line. <laughs> I mean, well, when yeah. you look at it, like you can shine a turd; it's still a turd. Well, and I'm was... not calling him a turd, but I'm just saying, like, I mean, he was the top ranked lineman, and I think his grade was like 67 or something. When, he was uh... the worst bad bad player. Yeah, when a D plus is leading the bunch, you know you got a bunch yeah. of dummies in the class. And while C's get degrees, D's do not. So, <laughs> well, yeah, D plus looks like you might find his way off of the roster pretty soon. I just, I just don't see him being the guy that makes it over. You know, those other three guys. Maybe you know Tyree St. Louis is you know the guy that's the weak link, and then you're deciding to move Norton to guard. I haven't seen him play guard. I've seen Louis or Lewis. I'm not sure which one it is. I've seen him play both positions in some limited tape. Um, I, I don't know, man. It'll be interesting to see, to see how that part of it shakes out. A lot of fans are worried, and analysts alike, are worried about the la- what they considered lack of depth on the offensive line. To me, I like our backup pieces. What are, you, what are your thoughts as, as the unit as a whole? So I like Jaime as a backup because I also think he gives some some potential to even, you know, outplay Odeobushi, make that contract expendable. I don't think that they should cut him even if he does win that training camp battle. But I I I don't know. I like them because they're developmental pieces. I like Pipkins as a developmental offensive tackle because number one, we just spent a third round draft pick on him two seasons ago. I'm not in the business of giving up on pretty highly drafted players uh, unless there's, you know, character issues. Well, Scott Quisenberry, no... go ahead. I was just going to say, there's there's no character issues, and all of those guys that we're keeping, minus Storm Norton, have shown flashes of something more, potential to develop into good players. So I like it. I don't know. I, I think fans expect to have proven commodities starters as backups, but that's just not what that doesn't happen. No, backups it's are very backups rare. for a reason. Yeah. If, if you want to really get into it, if you want a veteran as a backup, you're looking at Odeo Bushi as a backup, right? A what? reliable backup. Uh, if you look, the Eagles for years were like pumping them out. Um, backup guys that were signing, yeah. you know, five to $8 million a year contracts elsewhere. Um, I can't think of any names right now, but it's it's so rare. Usually, if you're getting into your backups at the offensive line position, they don't play well at all. But every once in a while, you do get some of these guys. Like Matt Feeler was a backup for for the Texans. Yeah, he ended up. I think he started his career in Pittsburgh as a backup and then played his way. And usually, what I find in in some of my research is those players that make it to you know 28 29 years old as a career backup usually like that's that that area where they end up really developing it takes some time to develop those skills on the offensive line and you know right around 28 29 30 years old is is where those guys who manage to stick around actually develop into some pretty good offensive linemen that you know they just had that rough patch that they had to get through yeah i'm excited for the unit more excited than I, I've, I've been in years since. So that's actually the last thing I actually wanted to bring up was our offensive line age. We, we've got veterans at every position. 
except for left tackle with Rayshon Slater. But if you I look, like the mix, you got a 28 year old Matt Feeler, you've got a 30 30 year old Corey Lindsley, a 29 Odeo Bushi, and you've got like a 32 32 uh, Bulaga. You, you've got veteran presence on the offensive line where it's you know that's kind of that sweet spot. It, it, yeah. Offensive linemen typically age better. You know, you, you like them more in, into their 30s than you do a wide receiver in your 30s. It's definitely a position that takes. Yeah, it's definitely a position that takes some year years in the league to get used to. I love it. I, I just looking at it again. I love the mixture of veteran talent and everybody backing up is is young, twenty four to twenty five range. Minus Rayshon Slater. Yeah. yeah, that's sweet. I, I don't know how you can go from having the worst ranked offensive line to doing on paper anything much better than the the Chargers front office just did this offseason. So PFF ranked the Chargers offensive line 17th best in the NFL. When you look at how much better they got, though, they went from 32nd to 17th. And that number is likely to go up. Uh, or down, however you want to go. They they could end up being a top 10 squad next season, mainly not because they're just bullying or anything like that, but because it's all veterans, especially going into year two when these guys have played together for a few years. It'll be really good to see this team, this offensive line, really transition to one of the better offensive line units in the NFL. Sure. We need to double down. Next draft, I would love to get a young... 21-year-old offensive guard in the first round, uh, maybe the second round, to really keep building on top of what you started. Well, yeah, we're trending in the right direction. We're trending in the right direction. We're working. The We're, we're getting the right pieces. It's not going to be fixed overnight, but we're trending in the right direction, and I like to see it. I think you're right. We are another stud or two away from being truly elite, but just the... Con- just the fact that we're addressing it finally it is is very, very refreshing. It is. I'm stoked to see what this outlook of this offensive line is. Like, I, I like the idea of how this is going to progress in the next couple of years. Any closing remarks, Zach? Uh, no, I'm excited for get into training camp and, and get into some of these training battles that we've been talking about this whole summer. I'm excited for the training camp battles. I'm excited to meet Justin Herbert in person yes, when he sir. finds my magazines. Speak it into existence. If you're listening, happen. if you're listening, Justin, get at your boy. Give me get, give my magazine a read, the one that I just sent to you. Let's have some fun. Thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you guys next week.